0: Section 8 of Volume 1 of the Golden Bough Part 1 The Magic Art and the Evolution of Kings, Volume 1 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 3 Subchapter 4 The Magician's Progress Private and Public Magic The Public Magician Who Practises His Art for the Good of the Whole Community enjoys great influence, and may rise to be a chief or king. We have now concluded our examination of the general principles of sympathetic magic. The examples by which I have illustrated them have been drawn for the most part from what may be called private magic. That is, from magical rites and incantations, practiced for the benefit or the injury of individuals. But in savage society, there is commonly to be found in addition what we may call public magics, that is, sorcery practiced for the benefit of the whole community. Wherever ceremonies of this sort are observed for the common good, it is obvious that the magician ceases to be merely a private practitioner and becomes, to some extent, a public functionary. The development of such a class of functionaries is of great importance for the political as well as religious evolution of society. But when the welfare of the tribe is supposed to depend on the performance of these magical rites, the magician rises into a position of much influence and repute, and may readily acquire the rank and authority of a chief or king. The profession accordingly draws into its ranks some of the ablest and most ambitious men of the tribe, because it holds out to them a prospect of honour, wealth and power such as highly any other career could offer it. The acuter minds perceive how easy it is to dupe their weaker brother and to plan his superstition for their own advantage. Not that the sorcerer is always a knave and an impostor, he is often sincerely convinced that he really possesses these wonderful powers which the crudelity of his fellows ascribes to him. But the more sagacious he is, the more likely he is to see through the fallacies which impose on duller wits. Thus, the ablest members of the profession must tend to be more or less conscious deceivers, and it is just these men who, in virtue of their superior ability, will generally come to the top and win for themselves positions of the highest dignity, and the most commanding authority. The pitfalls which beset the path of the professional sorcerer are many, and as a rule, only the man of coolest head and sharpest wit will be able to steer his way through them safely. For it must always be remembered that every single profession and claim put forward by the magician as such is false. Not one of them can be maintained without deception, conscious or unconscious. Accordingly, the sorcerer who sincerely believes in his own extravagant pretensions is in far greater peril and is much more likely to be cut short in his career than the deliberate impostor. The honest wizard always expects that his charms and incantations will produce their supposed effect, and when they fail, not only really as they always do, but conspicuously and disastrously as they often do, he is taken aback. He is not like his knavish colleague, ready with a plausible excuse to account for their failure, and before he can find one, he may be knocked on the head by his disappointed and angry employers. Tendency OF SUPREME POWER TO FALL INTO THE HANDS OF THE ABLEST AND MOST unscrupulous MEN The general result is that at this stage of social evolution, the supreme power tends to fall into the hands of men of the keenest intelligence and the most unscrupulous character. If we could balance the harm they do by their knavery against the benefits they confer by their superior sagacity, it might well be found that the good greatly outweigh the evil. For more mischief has probably been wrought in the world by honest fools in high places than by intellectual rascals. Once your shrewd rogue has attained the height of his ambition, and has no longer any selfish ends to further, he may, and often does, turn his talents, his experience, his resources to the service of the public. Many men who have been least scrupulous in the acquisition of power have been most beneficent in the use of it, whether the power they aimed at in one was that of wealth, political authority, or what not. In the field of politics, the willy intriguer, the ruthless victor, may end by being a wise and magnanimous ruler, blessed in his lifetime, lamented at his death, admired and applauded by prosperity. Such men, to take two of the most conspicuous instances, Were Julius Caesar and Augustus, but once a fool, always a fool. And the greater the power in his hands, the more disastrous is likely to be the use he makes of it. The heaviest calamity in English history, the breach with America, might never have occurred if George III had not been an honest dullard. The elevation of magicians to power tends to substitute a monarchy for that primitive democracy, or rather oligarchy of old men, which is characteristic of savage society and the rise of monarchy seems to be an essential condition of the emergence of mankind from savagery thus so far as the public profession of magic affected the constitution of savage society it tended to place the control of affairs in the hands of the ablest man it shifted the balance of power from the many to the one it substituted a monarchy for a democracy or rather for an oligarchy of old men for in general the savage community is ruled not by the whole body of adult males but by a council of elders. The change, by whatever causes produced, and whatever the character of the early rulers, was on the whole very beneficial. For the rise of monarchy appears to be an essential condition of the emergence of mankind from savagery. No human being is so hidebound by custom and tradition as your democratic savage. In no state of society, consequently, is progress so slow and difficult. The old notion that the savage is the freest of mankind is the reverse of the truth. He is a slave, not indeed to a visible master, but to the past, to the spirits of his dead forefathers, who haunt his steps from birth to death, and rule him with a rod of iron. What they did in his pattern of right, the unwritten law, to which he yields a blind, unquestioning obedience, The least possible scope is thus afforded to superior talent to change old customs for the better. The ablest man is dragged down by the weakest and dullest, who necessarily sets the standard, since he cannot rise, while the other can fall. The surface of such a society presents a uniform, dead level, so far as it is humanly possible to reduce the natural inequalities, the immeasurable real differences of inborn capacity and temper, to a false superficial appearance of equality. From this low and static condition of affairs, which demagogues and dreamers in later times have lauded as their ideal state, the golden age of humanity, everything that helps to raise society by opening a career to talent, and proportioning the degrees of authority to men's natural abilities, deserves to be welcomed by all who have the real good of their fellows at heart. Once these elevating influences have begun to operate, and they cannot be forever suppressed, the progress of civilization becomes comparatively rapid. The rise of one man to supreme power enables him to carry through changes in a single lifetime, which previously many generations might not have sufficed to effect, And if, as will often happen, he is a man of intellect and energy above the common he will readily avail himself of the opportunity even the whims and caprices of a tyrant may be of service in breaking the chain of custom which lies so heavy on the savage and as soon as the tribe ceases to be swayed by the timid and divided counsels of the elders and yields to the direction of a single strong and resolute mind it becomes formidable to its neighbours and enters on a career of aggrandizement which at an early stage of history is often highly favourable to social industrial and intellectual progress. For extending its sway, partially by force of arms, partially by the voluntary submission of weaker tribes, the community soon acquires wealth and slaves, by the which, by relieving some classes from the perpetual struggle for bare subsistence, afford them an opportunity of devoting themselves to that disinterested pursuit of knowledge, which is in no less the noblest and most powerful instrument to ameliorate the lot of man. Intellectual progress depended on economic progress which is often furthered by conquest and empire intellectual progress which reveals itself in the growth of art and science and the spread of more liberal views cannot be disassociated from industrial or economic progress and that in its turn receives an immense impulse from conquest and empire it is no mere accident that the most vehement outbursts of activity of the human mind have followed close on the heels of victory and the great Conquering races the whole world have commonly done most to advance and spread civilization. Thus, healing in peace the wounds they inflicted in war. The Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Arabs are the witnesses in the past. We may yet live to see a similar outburst in Japan. Nor to remount the stream of history to its sources. It is an accident that all the first great strides towards civilization have been made under despotic and theocratic governments like those of Egypt, Babylon and Peru while the supreme ruler claimed and received the servile allegiance of his subjects in the double character of a king and a god. It is hardly too much to say that at this early epoch, despotism is the best friend of humanity and paradoxical, as it may sound, of liberty. For after all, there is more liberty in the best sense. Liberty to think our own thoughts and to fashion our own destinies under the most absolute despotism, the most grinding tyranny than under the apparent freedom of savage life where the individual lot is cast from the cradle to the grave in the iron mould of hereditary custom benefits rendered to civilization by magic so far therefore as the public profession of magic has been one of the roads by which the ablest men have passed to supreme power it has contributed to emancipate mankind from the thraldom of tradition and to elevate them into a larger freer life with a broader outlook on the world. This is no small service rendered to humanity, and when we remember further that in another direction magic has paved the way for science, we are forced to admit, if the blackguard has done much evil, has been the source of much good, that if it is the child of error, it has yet been the mother of freedom and truth. End of section 8